0: graduation that's a that's a big deal whether it's from college or high school or even if it's something like a baptism mama june so just take a brief few moments here and speak into your life a little bit about the past and the future both are important to us Our past and our future are a big deal about who we are and who we're about to become. Every major event is a focal life in our lives. These are times when we should stop and evaluate who we are, who we have become, and who we are becoming. We need to stop and ask ourselves, am I happy with who I am? Am I proud of who I've become? So I want you to stop and take a few moments. Our graduates and the congregation. And I want you to take a high level look at your life. Who are you up here? Don't look at the individual events, look at who you are. What's your personality like? Are you a giver? Are you a server? Are you a leader? Look at these big things in our lives. Who are you? Are you happy with who you are? Maybe. Maybe not. You may see some parts of your personality where you are very happy with who you are. You may see some parts of your personality where uh, I'm not so happy with who I am. So stop and just take a look at that. And... See some things about yourself that you may not have seen prior to, or you haven't stopped and looked at that yet. And as you're pondering that, ask yourself the question of, what have I done with my life? What do I want to do with my life? And even more importantly, what does God want me to do with my life? Because each and every person has a purpose that God has ordained for us to do that we may not see at this point or may even contradict what we want to do with our own lives. Because I'll be quite honest, when I was in your guys' shoes and I was graduating high school, Angie, or college, ladies, the thought of standing up at the behind a pulpit at a church or leading a youth group never crossed my mind never once in fact at that point I wasn't even saved but now many years later as I think back Angie did I hear right 2000 was when you were born yeah a year later I graduated high school so I'm looking at you thinking, I can't believe you're that much younger than me. Have I gotten to that point? Shush. But then I think about the, the generations before me, and I realize how much I've learned from them, and how much I look forward to being at your guys' stage. And I realize that I'm enjoying the stage of life that I'm in now, and I enjoyed the stage of life that I was in when you, at, at your guys' level graduating high school, graduating college. But they were big deals. Now, you look back and you're you're like, okay, I see some things about me at the high level. Now look, look a little bit deeper. Look at the individual events. Look at these points of life that have shaped you. Good things, bad things, Ugly things that have happened in your life that have taught you, that have trained you. Now, why am I having you look back? Especially considering the fact that we heard Pastor Phil, the little clip from his message was saying, don't look back. And I'm telling you to look back. And all respect to Pastor Phil, without the full context of his message you would think i'm telling you something completely different than he and i'm telling you that you have to look back from time to time in your life to see where you have come from to see the things in life that you have to learn from in fact looking back into our life as a biblical principle paul talks about it in first corinthians so in the book of first corinthians chapter 10 verses 6 to 11 getting them up there real quick. I gave this to the media team very, very late, so give them a little bit of chance, please. Um, I was telling pastor that I I couldn't get anything for what he wanted me to say. I mean, I was sitting there writing this during praise and worship today. So, uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 10, verses 6 through 11. (laughs) Wow, okay This is what happens when you don't plan ahead, folks There we go Now These things have become our examples To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted Verse 7 And do not become idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all of these things happened to them... As examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So look back. Look back at what's happened to the people in our past. Look back at our history. Look back at the, what society has done as a whole. Look back into your own lives and learn from your mistakes and the things that you have done right. That's what Paul is telling us. The Old Testament was written so that we could look back into our fathers' lives and see where they fell and see where they succeeded. It's not to cast shame on them. It's not to rub their noses in it because they they're not even here to defend themselves. That's written for us to learn. There was a saying I heard a while back, and I don't know who quoted this originally, But fools learn from their own mistakes. Wise men learn from the mistakes of others. So I'm going to charge you one thing right off the bat now is learn from the mistakes of other people. Be a wise person. Learn from your mistakes and learn from the mistakes of others. Now, let's look a little bit deeper into our lives. Look into the events that have shaped you. Look into the monumental events that have made you become the person you are. The good and the bad. The things that you have succeeded in and the things that you have failed in. Because each and every one of us is a person made up of our successes and our failures. Each of these events becomes a guide point, a marker, or a watershed event in our life where we become something different. Each success can change our life and course to a completely different direction. Each failure can do the same thing. And I've heard it said that we learn more from failure than we learn from success. Because if I succeed in everything I do in life, then I have nothing more to do. And I can tell you that I learned that lesson in high school and college, because in high school, I didn't have to try. I didn't have to struggle. I ended up with decent grades, A's and B's, throughout my entire high school career for the most part, without even trying. But boy, I hit college, and the whole thing changed. Because I hadn't learned yet to learn from my own failures. In college, I had that opportunity. The good and the bad and the ugly, each of these events is God appointed, and they shape who we are as individuals. But each of these events is not to be forgotten. We like to forget our past in many respects, we like to forget our failures in many respects. But in addition to challenging you to be a wise person, I want you to remember the things in your life that are big deals. Even to the point that in your mind you begin to set a memorial up to these events. Not to worship them, but to remind you of them. The Old Testament, again, is an example. And we learn from the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that there are times in our life when we have to set memorials up to remind us of the things that have happened in our past. In fact, it is Abraham, if you read through the Old Testament, almost everywhere he stopped and laid his head, he put a memorial up. God said, go to Bethel. He put a memorial at Bethel. God said, go this place, Mamron or however many other of those places, and he sets up a memorial. In each of these points, these altars, as the Bible calls them, weren't for sacrificial purposes. They were reminders. And he used these to remind him of what God spoke to him. But let's look at one. Genesis chapter 28. Everybody here, I'm hoping, has heard of the story of Jacob and his ladder or stairway, depending on which translation you read. Jacob is at a point, he's running from his brother. He's stolen his brother's blessing. And he is running from his brother because if his brother catches him, he's dead. So, he stops one night to go to sleep. And God shows him in a vision that he's going to be blessed. And God speaks to him and says, that If you follow me, you and your generation, your descendants will have all of this. Everywhere that you are sleeping. And he wakes up and, verse 18 says, Jacob then arose early in the morning and took the stone that had been, that he had put at his head, Basically, his pillow. That was his pillow for the night. And he set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. Wait a minute. There are pretty drastic instructions on altars. But yet, all we've got here is a stone with some oil on the top. So the altars don't have to be big. They don't have to be elaborate. It's just a simple thing to remind you. And in the next, in verse 22, we see, and he called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of the city had been Luz previously. So he named it something that would remind him of what God had done at this place. And these guys, as they were going about and they were wandering about, they put these altars in as reminders of what God had promised them. So as you're going through life and you through these things, I want you to stop. Find some way to remember these things that God has done for you. Mark the major events in your life. Graduation is a major event. But then, so is a baptism. So is the day that you actually say, God, I'm yours. So is the day that you find that person that you want to spend the rest of your life with. So are so many other things that go on in our lives that if we're not careful, they get forgotten. So my challenge to you is twofold. Be wise. Learn from the mistakes of those people who came before us. And remember the events in your life that are going to shape you all the way through. And stop and look back from time to time in your life. Now, Let's look a bit into the future.
1: Thank you, Martin. Yes, give the Lord some praise. 115,000. 115,000 is the number that your heart beats every day. 115,000 times. This month, your heart will beat over 42 million times. If you live to be 80, which I know you will, your heart will have beat 3.3 billion times with no help. And as young people and as people who love life and enjoy life, we really love to hear that heartbeat because it lets us know that we're alive, we're still breathing, we're still living. But the reality is, that for every 100,000 heartbeats, there's a pause that sets up the next heartbeat. Watch this now. And that pause just gives us a brief moment to set up the next beat. We love it when we hear the beat, because we know that we're still living. But sometimes we cringe in the pause the reason is because when there's a pause as there is in life the pauses happen when we realize the road that we've been going down may not be the right road for us the pause happens in life when we find that uh, now all of a sudden we have a financial burden college has been going great high school has been going great but now there's a financial burden that causes us to pause The pause happens maybe when we have a relationship setback. It causes us to pause. The reality is who you are and what you believe, your real character is really revealed in the pause. It's revealed to you in the pause. And so we love the beat, but we need to understand that the pause really reveals who we are. You know what's amazing to me? is that when I look at the life of Jesus, it is amazing to me that some of the most miraculous, life-changing things occurred during a pause, a seemingly and oddly insignificant, unconsequential pause. Some of the most life-changing things happened. We find Jesus sitting at a well, He's tired. He had a great day of ministry. He's hungry. He sends his disciples out for some Chick-fil-A. My little. And he's sitting there by himself. Nothing is occurring. Nothing's happening. And all of a sudden, a woman comes up to get water. She doesn't intend on running into the Savior. She just wants a drink of water. Jesus, at that point, hadn't intended on ministering to someone or changing anyone's life he's just waiting on the disciples to get back so he can eat his chicken sandwich and drink a little water so he can go on to the next moment but during that pause that pause was the catalyst for one of the most life-changing revelations and life-changing revivals that the world has ever seen Because during that pause, he changed one woman's life who went back and changed a city. And then they invited Jesus in and they had a revival for days that set afire the Spirit of God. All from the pause. We find Jesus on a boat, had a great day of ministry, healing and teaching and talking to people and letting them know about the love of the father. And they get on a boat to go. He says, let's go to the other side. Let's take this time to pause and rest. And when we get to the other side, we'll do some more ministry. But during the pause between the land over here and the land over there, a storm arises. Jesus is found sleeping in the storm, but the disciples are going crazy because they think that they're going to die. Jesus, they wake him up. He comes up and he rebukes the storm. One of the greatest messages and examples that we'll ever have in the Bible comes during a pause, during a rest period. And perhaps the greatest example of this we find in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has ministered. He's given his life to ministry. He even said that there's no greater love than a man to lay down his life for his friends. And he wasn't necessarily just talking about the cross. He's talking about when I want to do, when I'm hungry, or when I just want uh, to talk to my friend Peter about the game, here comes someone that needs to be healed. So I have to lay down my life, lay down my wants and my needs. When I go on the mission field, I have to lay down the things that I want to do for my friends. And so he had a great life of ministry of doing all of that. And now he finds himself in the garden and he's crying out to the Father, Lord, Father, if this cup can be taken from me, please let it be. But guess what? Not your will, not my will, but your will, Jesus says. Some of us say not your will, but my will. But Jesus correctly said, not my will, Lord, but your will. And there his soul was being crushed and the greatest moment happened in the pause what we must it's amazing that we must understand that the will of the father is not necessarily uh, revealed in the doing but it's revealed during the pause it's revealed to us during those moments when no one else is looking When he was at the well, no one else was there. His disciples weren't there. None of her friends were there. It was just him and her. God's will is revealed to us during the pause. During the pause. And it's during those times that you realize in your future, these are the times when God reveals to you what he wants you to do next. And when, when, we, when we take time during those pauses to just sit and rest and talk to the Father, then we begin to understand why we're in Samaria of all places. Jews don't like the Samarians very much, but he chose to go through there. Why are we here? It seems like an insignificant part in my ministry. But then you'll understand, why am I sitting at a well in Samaria talking to this woman? Because God wants to use you to show that he is the God of everyone and not just you come on somebody he wants to use you to light a fire that will change a city and that will eventually change the world you'll understand why you're on a boat in a storm when you've done everything right I've prayed I've read my Bible I've given my life for others yet I find myself in this storm and I don't understand it but God is saying sleep in the storm and you're wondering how is it that I can sleep in the storm because he wants you to know that you need to stand up speak peace and show everyone that he is the god of the storm you find yourself in gethsemane your soul is being crushed why am i here lord but he reveals to you in that pause that you understand if there is no gethsemane there is no golgotha and if there is no golgotha there is ultimately no victory Yes, you will have to go through some Gethsemane times where God will have to kill off some things in your life. But what he wants you to know this morning is that as you go through those times and your soul is seemingly crushed, there is a resurrection on the other side coming. You're in that thing for a purpose. And so God wants you to know this morning that your future is bright And everything that you go through is going to be for a purpose, especially the pauses in life. 100,000. That's how many times your heart will beat today. But know that there will be 100,000 opportunities for each and every one of us to pause. And that pause may be the greatest victory, the greatest revelation in your life. And so God would say to us this morning, make it count. Make it count. Somebody give the Lord some praise for the pause in our life. God would say to you this morning that you're world changers. I know we've heard that term, and it's almost cliche-ish now, but it doesn't make it any less true. I was thinking about millennials. It's a term we hear a lot, millennials. And uh, when I I remember growing up, and I don't know what I was, kind of after baby boomers and before millennials, uh, I guess I was just baldy. I don't know what our generation, but uh, yeah, Mike doesn't know either, but I remember growing up and being around a lot of, uh, older people, I grew up in church also, uh, Jessica, and I remember being around a lot of older people, and a lot of what I got was, you know, this generation, you know, they just, they, they do things different, you know, when we, and during our generation, you know, you had to work for everything, and you didn't have the things that you had, we didn't have a VCR, when we came home, uh, we didn't have color TV, color can tell you how old I am right and you know they uh, but and it was always like uh it appeared to me like you know we were uh being downed and shunned and pushed aside one of the things that i began to realize folks as i got older is the next generation is not only their future but the next generation is your future come on and instead of pushing them aside and telling them how much stuff they don't know Uh, you know, just as my generation does today. You know, you millennials, we didn't have social media and everything's all over social media and you have uh, all of these games and uh, all these things that you do and make it so easy. And uh, I would say to my generation, instead of discouraging the next generation, we need to encourage them to embrace everything that God's put in their hands to use. I heard one man uh, on a CD, uh, he was talking and he said, you know, the disciples only wish they had airplanes and the internet to get uh, the, 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 the word of God out, amen, and we know every, every generation has their thing, so I, that may not necessarily be true, but I understand what he was saying. You know, this generation has uh, the Internet, and they have social media, and they have other platforms, and we need to encourage. And you say, well, that's just no good. No, social media is just fine. It's not social media that's no good. Social media is just like money. (laughs) Nothing wrong with money. Nothing wrong with social media. It's who's using it. And we need to encourage this generation, come on, to be influencers. We need to encourage them to be influencers. So millennials, I will tell you that you are not only your future, but you are my future. And we love you very much. And we just want to encourage you to do everything that God has put in your hands. Don't get to be 50 and 60 years old and look back and say, what happens if I would have tried that? I think God may have said that, but I just wasn't sure. So I didn't try it. God will let you know. Let me just say that. An ending here, God will let you know if your heart is toward God and you do something that he doesn't want you to do, God has a way of letting you know, no, that's not what I wanted you to do. And it's okay. He does it in a loving way. As long as your heart, what he really wants is what? What does he want? He wants your heart. That's what he wants. You are not judged by your works. You are judged by your heart. God judges you by your heart. So, millennials, you are the next generation. We love you very much, and we want you to succeed. In fact, we need you to succeed. We need your bright minds. We need your beautiful looks. We need uh, your dedication. Uh, We need your encouragement back. We need you to succeed, and we love you. Amen.